Equipment Watch produces the leading database information products for the construction equipment industry and is the world leader in heavy construction research and serves more than 15,000 professional high volume users of construction and lift truck data. Our online products are valuable tools and decisions surrounding the purchase, valuation, operation, and disposal of equipment. Hey everyone, welcome back to Equipment Watch Podcast. We are on Season 2, Episode 3. I am Erin Kadzis, Product Marketing Manager here at Equipment Watch. I'm joined by Tim Gickey, who is the Fleet Manager at Covia. Tim, how are you doing today? Very good about yourself. Not too bad. I do appreciate you sitting in with us on this podcast. Yeah, no, pleasure to be here. So we are taking a new direction with these podcasts, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be more so a series showcasing a day in the life of Equipment Watch customers, and Tim is our, our first guinea pig, if you will. So what, we'll, what you can look forward to is discussing experiences within the equipment industry and looking into these real stories as to how these customers and, and others within the industry are using our data and, and even some other practices outside of the Equipment Watch software to make better equipment decisions. So, Tim, we mentioned you're a fleet manager over at Covia. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your role? So, I basically take care of the day-to-day uh, equipment transactions for the company where we are a sand mining uh, corporation. But So, I have sites in Mexico, U.S., Canada. So, with in acquisitions, you know, make sure we're getting a good deal when we buy them and then the sales as well as daily operations and seeing what is maybe the best fit for how we approach a particular situation in the mining realm. Great. And mining is not something that's foreign to us, but it is somewhat unique, I would say. Um, so I always love talking to you because you you tend to have some very unique you know, case studies and use cases with our software. Yeah, I always enjoy being a little bit different than everybody else. So. Yeah, that's always nice, right? So I would love to hear, it sounds like you, you know, you've given us a good idea is, to what your role is with Covia and, and how that works. What about Covia as a company? Tell us a little about Covia and some of the challenges you face on a day-to-day basis as a fleet manager. Well, Covia itself is is newly formed. Um, we are the product of the merger of uh, what was formerly Uniman and Fairmont Santral. So, I mean, we're one of the number one frac sand producers in North America. Uh, we also do a lot of industrial products, uh, you know, you name it, anything that sand goes into, it's a kind of an interesting realm if you ever get a chance to look into it. But, um, you know, a lot of my daily challenges that I see within, you know, the, this type of fleet, especially as, as spread out as we are operational, I'm, I'm dealing with 45 sites across three different countries. You know, being able to access data, be able to process items. A lot of times I, I'm i doing things sight unseen with machines at, um, you know, on, uh, on locations that I may never, ever visit. A lot of times it's it's being able to get information is one of probably the, the hardest things I face. That's really interesting to hear, you know, uh, managing 45, 45 sites. And as you mentioned, some of those you'll never visit. I could see that. I could see that being a challenge. Do you have any testimony to how Equipment Watch has filled the gap in those areas where, let's say, you cannot go there in person and, and speak to the team and see what's going on on the ground? Instead, you're able to use our you know, our software to kind of help fill that gap, as we said. One of the more traditional things that I've used it for, I mean, is is when we're you know doing um, deals, whether it be a trade in or an outright sale of of a piece that we're uh, disposing of. And often, you know, you 
you get an offer, you've got to see where the price is. And so I'll look at market values and items like that to help determine along with what little I might be able to get for, you know, what I get for equipment condition and knowing kind of how we tend to treat our iron and be able to help me get to a more a fair and equitable decision on that uh, disposition of the machine. I might offer as a more of a non-traditional use I do in that is when we start talking about tossing structures and what we start looking at how the machines operate within that that functionality and then you know what it costs per hour to operate items like that so i will hold most of my data off here as a equal slate a equal level of comparison so i have a a broad base of information whether it be stuff i already own or stuff i don't own and i can get a good party comparison and then a starting point to move forward yeah i think that's that's interesting you know you mentioned a, a handful of our toolkit, if you will. And, you know, I, I always say this when you and I talk, but I work really closely with our director of marketing, Greg Lutz, and he's obviously a huge fan of you as well. And we've heard some some cool stories, obviously, that I'll touch on in just a second. But um, I think it's great to hear, you know, you're tapping into market values, disposition, utilization, and I, I believe internal charge rate as well to make mm-hmm. these decisions. Yeah, no, I, I do a lot of um, like site modeling and items like that. I work very closely with our mind planning group and, and deciding, you know, maybe what the best course moving forward is. And, you know, it's not just where to pick up the dirt and where to put the dirt down. It often comes into that cost of moving the dirt and everything else. So when you do these these models, you really need a good cost structure. You need to know what your oil is going to cost, what your um, ground engaging tools, all these other items. And while sometimes you have it internally, sometimes you need to reach out and jump to things that, like I say, you don't don't already have in stable. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, the last time we spoke, I think you mentioned that your leadership team has really come to understand and ex- not only accept, but anticipate Equipment Watch as, as your company's standard when it comes to, you know, building out these costs and forecasts and, and that sort of thing. Oh, definitely. I mean, as you can imagine, going into a, a merger of this size and, and, and scale, there's a lot of accountants involved, items like that. So you're always, what is what is a fair market value? That, that was always their question to me. So, you know, I here's your fair market values. This is where I source them from, you know, big asterisk equipment watch. And everybody's been happy with it since. I haven't had to answer the question in a while. So that's great. Yeah. So obviously that goes back to market values and the whole fair market value aspect. Do you ever use the the OLV data at all? I'm just curious about that. I kind of do because most of the time I'm not looking at, at waiting on a machine. I don't have a, um, I don't don't do a lot in the world of remarketing. I mean, most everything I get rid of goes to auction or goes back to the dealerships as a trade-in. So I will use the um, the liquidation values, you know, for not the orderly, but that that lower tier. And then what I will do, I mean, is look at that orderly value as if I were to put a little, you know, a little effort into it. Where could I maybe go and and to see where that break is point is because when you go to the uh, fair market value it's hard to obtain in the you know as far as going out and actually selling that without having a remarketing team and a, and a sales force behind it so you know i know where the top tier is now i get to know where kind of the bottom numbers are then i get a nice little rider in the middle there that um is usually what i use as a, that upper bar if i were to invest time in it how much more could i possibly get out of it and is it worth that that investment in time and, and and resource to go out and try to um, sell them that through that market Right. And I know you mentioned disposition earlier as well, and you're kind of touching on that here again. Do you use the residual values application as well? I have not got into that one yet. I don't believe it's something that I have on. <laughs> I don't know if I have it in my attached my account or not yet, or if I just haven't opened it up that far at this point in time. So something I need to look into. Yeah, I would say if, if you're not aware, residual values actually lives outside of the applica- the traditional equipment launch application as of now. 
And, and again, not to sell you on anything during this call, but we did just announce a bunch of, or a handful, I should say, consulting services and disposition is one of them. So, you know, with resi residual values, that's subscription based. So with the consulting aspect, disposition is one that we offer and it's a one-off service. So it's, mm -hmm. there's no commitment requirement. Always nice to see you guys are expanding your portfolio of items and, and then finding more things to help those of us out on the other end that are looking for something. So Yeah, absolutely. Let me get back on, on track here. So one of my favorite stories is how our standby and idling rates really came to be. And uh, again, going back to Greg, our director of marketing, the way he tells the the birth of standby and idling rates really had a lot to do with conversations that you two held. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, if you remember. Greg does a great job. He likes to follow up with customers when they first subscribe to the product and see what their use cases are and what they're what they're doing with within the item. So we had a discussion about it. And at the time, I was at a large focus on um, controlling idle rates and, and looking at that landscape through, you know, the various telematics and everything else. But what I was having a difficulty doing is really quantifying these cost structures. It's something that we as a company have not done a great job of tracking. We just actually at that time, it just purchased a new um, ERP system, partially for the reason of capturing all this information. And so we're still building that database now, but you need the data right away. So when I was discussing this with them and what we were using that information for, one of the items that did come up in the conversation was, you know, with looking at idle rate and the difference in standby times and stuff like that, that, you know, machines don't always cost the same to run, you know, at all times. So, you know, he said, uh, after the, the phone call, he spent about four or five hours online researching a lot of the statements I said to get a better understanding of the, the items I was discussing with him in order to try to build this as a, you know, uh, as a resource for all the rest of us that are dealing with it on a daily basis. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I, I think, again, not to brag too, too intensely, but I think that that really speaks to everybody on our team here, on our different teams within Equipment Watch. We really do care about the customer, and, and that's just another great example. One interesting thing that I learned about you recently is that you moved to a fully leased fleet a few years ago. Can you tell us what that decision looked like and, and why? Well, you know, and, and, and honestly, I'm not purview to where, why the decision was necessarily made, but I, you know, looking in, I will say it, it probably had a lot to do with the, the, the lease and, or not the lease, excuse me, with the merger and the other items that go with that, because January leasing is a, a really good mechanism if you want to maintain cash, you know, so you want to be cash strong, you start leasing equipment, spread that dollar a lot further. So within that, that opened up a whole new realm. Currently, I think I have, uh, oh, I'm approaching 100 machines on, on, on lease of various schedules, anywhere from two years to five, and, and the gambit from you know, uh, uh, your lowest, you know, low dollar option FMVs all the way to fixed residual buyouts at $1. So there's a lot of things to keep track of in there. And it does come down to, we do a lot of modeling to see financially what makes sense into the future. Do we continue to lease or to buy or what's our best, what, what's the best way to own this machine and what's the best use of the dollar? So we will through, thankfully, somebody that's very, uh, we have a, a gal at our corporate offices that's really good at financial stuff um, in the markets. And then with the information that I've been able to uh, pull off of, you know, from the, you know, costing structures through Equipment Watch, and then along with, you know, a bit of my experience added into in timeframes and everything else, we've been able to do these projected studies out four, six, eight, ten years or beyond and really drill down into it and see where's our effective use of the dollar and over time, are we better to lease or better to buy? So where we started it as, you know, more of a business strategy 
um, it's evolved into a, a bit of a, a fleet strategy now where it's we're really making sure that we're capturing what we can get our best use of the dollar. Because one thing I'd have to add in there is we're very unique in our use of machines. We use a lot of hours a year, um, in some cases up to 8,000. So we don't have a lot of these machines we don't intend to own long term. So it, we do have to be very much and have updated data to keep continuing to push these models out and make sure that we're, we're effectively using them dollars. Yeah, that, that is really interesting to hear about um, your higher than average hour and usage. Um, so obviously, it is not a fully leased fleet because you do. We've talked about disposition today, and, and you're saying now that you know it's it's more about the strategy of determining when does it make more sense to to rent or lease versus own. Correct. I mean, it, it started out that way, but now it's evolved into you know it kind of it, it was good because a lot of us uh, in. in I'll say from the more traditional school of thought and equipment, you, you buy it, you own it forever, and you just keep trying to push it out. And it, it, it did open my eyes quite a bit to, you know, there's there's a lot of value in maybe not owning that machine outright. You know, maybe just paying for a bit of use and then letting it go. So, you know, we've been able to build strategy off of all that and really feel that it's, it's our best way to, you know, make sure that our equipment budgets are, are getting utilized to their maximum capability. Yeah, and I, I think that's another good example of how you're using the equipment launch data to make those determinations, the, the rent versus the zoned or, or whatever way you're looking at it. No, we even feed the rent data in there because if you're going to rebuild it, you got to cover it when it's down getting rebuilt. So then we plug in the rental data that tells us what it's going to cost to have one on site to cover that machine while it's getting rebuilt for that month or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes perfect sense. So I'm curious, what were you doing or using before onboarding with Equipment Watch. And I know this this may have been a different time and era as far as, you know, companies and, and positions are concerned, but entertain us for a second. Oh, I used to just spend a lot of time on um, various auction sites and um, a lot of the equipment papers that are out there, just doing some rough calculations and averages of my own to figure out what values might be. Anecdotal data on on usage. I mean, I, I do have information available to me from from within the company, but you know, with with changing ERP systems, you tend to lose a lot of that, and and so the granularity wasn't there that we really needed to drive into these decisions. So I yeah, I used about everything I could, including I think I had a crystal ball there for a little while. I, I really hope it produced answers for me, but you know, it was a hodgepodge of about everything out there. A lot of time invested. Yeah, I bet it sounds like a lot of data mining and, and a lot of just gut feeling. Uh, does that sound right to you? Yeah, yeah, a bit of that, a bit of that. Every now and then you just throw it against the wall and guess. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I think one term we've been using more and more internally here is the gut check and and mm. you know really comparing that to equipment watch because we've you know it's such a it's such a broad industry and we've got all walks of life working within it, but we've got you know some of the old school folks who are still going off a lot of gut-based decision-making. And then we've got a lot of people like yourself and other organizations who are committed to making sure they're making the best decisions based on, you know, accurate data. And and so Mm -hmm. I think one of the coolest things we've been able to begin communicating is we can check your gut instinct with our data. So, hey, if you have that gut feeling, just double check it with an equipment watch, and that I think has really resonated with a lot of our customers. Oh, definitely. Every now and then, it's yeah, you just kind of make a guess and go, I think that's where it should be, and then I'll go validate that that gut decision with with the data that's available. We'll go, hey, I was actually pretty close. Surprise myself sometimes, even. Yeah, absolutely. So, how long have you been a customer with us now? Two years. Two years, two glorious years, I hope. Yeah, yeah, no, it's <laughs> been good. 
Great. It seems like I've covered a lot of this stuff. If there's anything that you want to add, we've gone over a ton of stories and specific use cases with your role and, it, and all that. If anything, just to kind of, you know, towards your end is, I, and I do always, I find it interesting um, talking to, you know, whether it be Greg or Brian or, or some of these folks at these conferences, you know, they really are looking at, you know, what we have to say as a customer towards what it is, whether it's, you know, good, bad, or, or indifferent, you know, I mean, go from one minute, you know, what could we see as a, you know, they're asking questions of maybe as an add-on, something that would make it, you know, better, or what would you like to see as a feature that we could add on here that might drive more value for you as a customer? Go with the other spectrum where somebody's having a pain point and within the system, whatever that might be, and, and you know, they'll take the time to drop all the other conversations and go address that. And I mean, it's, it is good to see um, companies in this, especially in data and in technology, you know, in some of the stuff where we tend to disconnect from that human element to see that you guys are still trying to keep that human element up front and dealing with us personally, you know, even at sit downs, whatever that might take to resolve problems and or, you know, push the platform further. Well, I personally appreciate hearing that and I know the rest of, uh, of our teams would as well. And it really is something that we strive to do. So thank you very much. Um, anything else you'd want to add before we uh, close it out here? I don't believe so. Great. Tim, just want to say thank you again uh, for joining us today. This was a great start to kick off our customer-centric podcast, and we're looking forward to doing more of these in the future, so everybody keep an eye out for those. To our listeners, don't forget to check out our free industry resources, product updates, news, and more at equipmentwatch.com slash downloads. Again, that is free to everybody. It's not just for subscribers, so do take advantage of that. Uh, And again, you can expect to hear from us again soon with another customer-centric podcast. That will be in about eight weeks or so. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes to catch every episode. Until next time, thanks for listening. See you next time.